I'm Tom Hegenbotham. I currently serve as an elder here at Christ Community Chapel. Today I'm reading from Romans 8.32. And let's listen to what God's Word says. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Every good morning and uh, welcome to Christ Community Chapel. So glad that you are here. Uh, welcome those of you at our East service, those of you who are tuning in online. Uh, welcome. Now, I've told you, I think, many times uh, how much I love this church. And I do. I love this church all year long, but there are certain seasons where I feel like I love our church even more, and this is one of those seasons. Uh, Zach said last week that people are at their very best around Christmas, and I think our church is at its very best from right, right now until Christmas. And it starts with the Thanksgiving baskets, which are the gray bins that are out there in the atrium. And if you're new here, one of the traditions that we have here at CCC is that we, we grab one of those bins. Actually, I saw somebody after first service grab four, right? And you have a list of things you're going to fill it with to give like a Thanksgiving feast for at least 10 people. Then we get to go out into our community and the surrounding communities, knock on doors. And when the door opens, we get to say to those people, God has not forgotten you because he sent me with this. And we get to give a Thanksgiving feast enough to feed 10 people. We'll do that 1,500 times. So 15,000 people will experience a Thanksgiving feast because of you. Then we'll move right into the just because cards where we will blanket this area with thousands of acts of random kindness and generosity. And then we go to uh, the Christmas concerts. Listen, last year we had to do it uh, virtually, which was great. This year we're back in person. Don't miss it. It will be amazing. Listen, if you are watching online, you haven't come back yet. That's a time to come back. For those of you here, invite friends and family. Don't miss our Christmas concerts. We are at our very best from now until Christmas. Don't miss a thing. All right? All right, we are in this series right now that we're calling 10 Sentences to Change Your Life. We've been looking at 10 verses all from the book of Romans. You just heard the verse for today, which is Romans 8.32. The truth of that verse is extraordinary. In fact, the more you believe the truth of that verse, the more you will change. If you believe the truth of that verse 10% more at the end of this message than you do right now, you will be 10% healthier and holier. You will just be 10% better. That's how powerful the truth is of this one sentence. So I wanna, I'm going to do a little bit uh, something different right now before I get into talking about this verse. In front of you, if you're here in the sanctuary, is an index card with a pen. I want you to grab that. If you're in East service, there should be uh, an index card and a pen either underneath your chair or right around you. Grab those, and this is what I want you to do. Uh, I want you to write out this verse. We're going to put it on the screen. I want you to write out this verse longhand on one side of the card, right? Because when you write it out, every word, there is something that happens, I think, uh, in your head and in your heart, or it can't. So before I start, go ahead and put the verse up and start writing. 
He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also with him graciously give us all things? All right, as you finish, just hold on to that card. And, uh, you know, I always have three points, so let me give you my three points. If you're a note-taker, you can know that this is where I'm going. Uh, But I want to talk about the logic. I want to talk about the promise, and I want to talk about the pattern. The logic, the promise, and the pattern. First, the logic. I talk to a lot of people about Jesus. I hope you do too. I mean, we should be talking about Jesus, should be easy to talk about Jesus because he is just incredible in every aspect. And this is something I thought of this week, and it's a challenge to me, and I'm going to give it as a challenge for you. I want you in the coming weeks to talk more about Jesus than you do about the Browns. (laughs) And the reason is because Jesus is better than the Browns. All right? And if you're a Steeler fan, uh, Jesus is better than the Steelers, all right, by a long shot. All right. (laughs) But when I'm talking to somebody about Jesus, every once in a while I'll talk to somebody and they'll say, uh, listen, um, I'm I'm an an engineer. And uh, it's like it's the the magic potion against uh, being a person of faith. And what they're saying is, listen, I, I live in a world of logic, not faith, so I'm not really interested. And I get that, except that I've learned in my married life that uh, I should kind of withhold judgment until I ask a question or dig a little deeper. And when I say that, this is what I mean. I came home from work uh, not too long ago, and my wife's car was uh, outside of the garage in our driveway. And my driveway is uh, one of those weird driveways. I have a two-car garage. The, the driveway starts out with two lanes, and then it narrows to one lane. I don't know why they did that, but they did. So when my wife's car is out in the driveway, I have to kind of squeeze by to get my car into the garage. And I squeeze by, and it's just a, it's just a little irritating. And so I walk into the house, and I say to my wife, Karen, uh, Karen, y- your car is out in the driveway not in the garage. That's all I say. But what I'm thinking is what you've done doesn't make any sense, right? It's not logical, right? And my wife has that ability that a lot of women have that she not only knows what I say, she also knows what I'm thinking. And she says to me, yeah, I know. Tomorrow's garbage day. You always take the garbage cans out. And I thought it'd be easier if my car was outside the garage than inside and all of a sudden, I feel sheepish. <laughs> because what she had done made perfect sense. And not only did it make sense, it was also for my benefit. That's the way I feel about Christianity with somebody who says, oh, no, 
I am uh, too logical for Christianity. I want to go, oh, just dig a little deeper. Just ask a couple of questions so you can see the logic of it. And whenever I think of that, I always am thinking about the crucifixion because that is the foundation of our faith. And I think somebody should, people should, uh, if they're a person of logic, ought to be able to understand more than most why Jesus had to be crucified. And this is what I mean. Every single human being longs for justice, for a just world. And if, if you don't think you do, all you need is someone to do just the slightest bit of injustice to you, and you will feel it. You're in line at the grocery store waiting to pay. There are people in front of you, people behind you. They open up another lane, and the people behind you skirt around you to get first in that lane. You, want, you just go, what the heck, right? And you want to punch somebody. That's because you have a desire for justice, right? Every human being does. But every human being, because of our human experience, also realizes that there are times where we have to say we're sorry and ask for forgiveness to be restored in relationship. Every human being understands that too. And every human being realizes how hard it is to actually grant forgiveness when somebody has hurt you deeply because you know that forgiveness is not free. It is always costly. The crucifixion of Jesus Christ is like a a variable in a mathematical equation about the mechanism of forgiveness that you know, that you know. So anytime I'm talking to somebody and they want to say, well, I'm logical, so I'm not a person of faith, I just want to say, listen, ask a question, dig a little deeper. When you read the book of Romans, Paul appeals to logic all the time. And in this verse, that's the way he starts. He's appealing to logic when he says, he who did not spare his own son, but gave himself up for us, will he not also with him graciously give us all things? He's appealing to logic to people who are going through difficult times. Paul was himself in prison when he wrote this. He's writing to people who are suffering in a number of different ways. You know that from earlier in the chapter, uh, verses 18 and 19, Paul says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revelation, for the revealing of the sons of God. Then verse 22, For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. Verse 28, We know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. So Paul, when he talks to people who are hurting, who begin to wonder, does God really love me? Does God really care about what's going on inside my life? He uses logic first. When he says he who did not spare his own son, he is connecting that to one of the most famous Old Testament stories, uh, which is the story of Abraham and Isaac. In Genesis chapter 22, Abraham and Isaac are in trouble. Uh, It's a father and a son. And they don't know they're in trouble, which is the most dangerous kind of trouble to be in, because what is happening is Abraham is in danger of loving his son Isaac more than he loves God, which is another way of saying that Abraham was about to make his son Isaac into a god. 
And we all know that would end terribly because an eight-year-old is not ready to be God. And a man who worships his son is going to crash and burn in no time, right? So God intervenes and he decides to try to rescue Abraham in the only way that Abraham can be rescued. And he does, he tells him to go and sacrifice his son, which is to reorder Abraham's heart. And it ends in chapter 22, verse 12, where God says, do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, seeing that you have not withheld your son, your only son from me. What God is saying is now, now I know you're safe because if you did not withhold your son, there is nothing you will not do for me that you have put me back in the place where I should be. Paul uses that same logic for all of us who are going through difficult times. If you are here and you are hurting in any way, if you have been thinking, I wonder if God still cares for me, if God still knows what's going on in my life, what I really need, Paul says first, think. Think with me. God, who did not spare his own son, but gave Jesus for you, will he not also with him graciously give you all things? And that brings me to the second point, which is the promise. The promise is magnificent. The promise is that God would give us all things. But the question is, what does that mean? Uh, This is a picture of my uh, youngest daughter, Becca. She just had a baby. This is her firstborn uh, baby. This is Ezekiel. You knew this was coming. I mean, when when any of my kids have kids, I always show them to you. When you preach, you can show your grandkids. (laughs) But Becca is smitten. I mean, she is completely smitten by little Ezekiel. If I were to ask Becca, is there anything you would not do, we would not give to Ezekiel? She would say, no, nothing. But of course there is. There are a lot of things that she will not and should not give to Ezekiel. Honey is one. Honey seems pretty innocuous, but not for a newborn. And then at every stage of his life, there'll be things that she will withhold and things that she will freely give, all with one thing in mind. What is absolutely best for this little human being? And of course, what makes parenting so hard and such a huge responsibility is that is that, that child does not know what is best for them. Here's a question. How confident are you that you know what is absolutely best for you? At your age now, I'm 62. How confident am I that I know exactly what is absolutely best for me? I have told you before, I'm not very handy at home. That's an understatement. I can hardly uh, screw in a light bulb. If you wanted to torture me, uh, you could just put me in a room with a piece of Ikea furniture and tell me I can't get out until I put it together. Listen, Ikea is the worst. If you work for Ikea, I'm sorry. Work your way up in the company, then change it. Right? If I put something together from Ikea and my wife comes in, and my wife is the the handy person in my house, 
She would say to me, uh, Joe, we have to take that completely apart because that's supposed to be a chair, right? <laughs> I read this this past week in a book called Deeper by Dane Ortland. Uh, it's a great book. This is what he says. Fallen human beings enter this world wrong. We do not look at ourselves correctly. We do not view God correctly. We do not understand the way to be truly happy. We are ignorant of where all human history is heading, and we do not have the wisdom that makes life work well, and so on. The Christian life, our growth in Christ, is nothing other than the lifelong deconstruction of what we naturally think and assume and the reconstruction of truth through the Bible. That God is in the process of deconstructing me and reconstructing me like a piece of Ikea furniture that was put together all wrong. Right? Jesus says in the book of Revelation, behold, I'm making all things new. He doesn't just mean nature and creation. He means you. He means me. We could have said as our motto here at Christ Community Chapel, come to Christ Community Chapel where you are, we can be deconstructed and reconstructed by Jesus. Instead, we just say, reimagine life because of Jesus. And what we're saying is that Jesus comes into every aspect of your life, has to take it apart, which can be very painful, and put it back together again. The promise that Paul is saying here that God has made is that he will do, he will provide you with everything. He will withhold certain things, give you other things with one thing in mind. And that one thing in mind is how to deconstruct you and reconstruct you into the person you were meant to be. A person of absolute magnificence. And you and I have no idea what that takes. And this is what Paul is saying to people who are going through a difficult time. He's saying you can trust God in anything that is going on in your life because he can use anything that goes on in your life to deconstruct, reconstruct, to make you in the person that you long to be, that you want to be. Virtually everyone I know right now seems to be going through a difficult time. And there are all kinds of stuff that I mean, from uh, illnesses to family members that are struggling to uh, kids that are rebelling to jobs that they've lost to marriages that are dissolving. You know, in my own family, you heard that my, my mother-in-law passed away this week. And anything uh, like that where you, you have the death of a loved one kind of rips at your soul. And I'm watching that in my family. And here's like my question if all that is going on, but we have this promise from God that everything is working in our lives or can work in our lives to actually make us into the person that we were meant to be, how does it really work? And that brings me to the third point, which is the pattern. The pattern. So when Paul is talking to people who are hurting, and if you're hurting, this is the first thing that Paul will say to you is to just say, he says, think with me. Think, and he tells you the logic. If God was willing to give Jesus, then God is, will take care of you now. And then he gives the promise that he will do everything. There is nothing that he will withhold, nothing that he will give that is not for a single purpose, which is to make you into the person you're meant to be. 
But when he says, he who did not spare his own son, you realize he's talking about the crucifixion of Jesus, but he's also talking about a pattern. This is what I mean. And the pattern is Friday, Saturday, Sunday. On Friday, when Jesus was crucified, there wasn't a single disciple who understood. Every single disciple had to be looking and just going, God, what are you doing? It makes no sense, right? They, Every single person that Jesus came in contact with left better for coming in contact with Jesus. You know, I'll talk to people sometimes, and when young people die, it's always a thing where where people want to go, why? Why would God? It just doesn't seem like it fits into God's economy. This person was such a good person, had so much life to give, and that they're taken from us. There was no one more like that than Jesus. So the disciples on Friday were just going to God, God, you were making a huge mistake. There is nothing worse that could happen, not just to us, but to the entire world than what's happening right now. That's Friday. Saturday was even worse. If Friday was bad, Saturday had to be worse for the disciples. I don't know if you've spent any time thinking about what Saturday must have been like, but Saturday is that that heaviness, like after you, someone dies and then you realize you're going to live without them in that hole, kind of, you feel that hole open up. And that's what the disciples felt. And they were just going this, this sadness, heaviness, depression, anger, frustration. Everything was just heavy on Saturday. And then Sunday morning happened. The resurrection of Jesus. And the moment they saw Jesus, Friday made perfect sense. The moment they saw Jesus, they were going, oh, oh, of course it had to happen. That's the one variable in this equation of of what it means to be forgiven. This is it. It wasn't the worst thing. It was the absolute best thing, which is why we call it Good Friday instead of Bad Friday, because it meant everything to us. So Friday all of a sudden makes sense. But then Sunday morning, when they saw Jesus, Saturday was just absolutely swallowed up alive. I I don't think the disciples thought about how they felt on Saturday at all, because joy overwhelmed everything. This is the problem with this verse and with me, with this verse and you. We live in Friday and Saturday. For some of you, you're right in the middle of Friday where some things have happened or uh, God has done stuff and you're just saying, I don't understand any of this. Some of you are right in the middle of Saturday in the deep kind of darkness and heaviness of Saturday. How do I know that Sunday is coming? Because I long for Sunday. I long for the moment when all sad things come untrue. How do I know that one day, every single thing that has happened to me in my entire life, I will understand? And how God will finally complete the process of deconstructing me and reconstructing me into the thing that I always imagined I could be, should be, want to be. How do I know that will happen? How do you know? You know how you know? Romans 8.32. God who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also with us, with him graciously give us all things? 
God is saying, if I did this with Jesus, I will do this for you. Know that whatever is going on, that it makes you feel like you were in Friday or Saturday, Sunday is coming for you because it's the promise God made. And you can look back and see what he's already done on the cross. All right? So now, this is what I want you to do, is take the card, turn it over, and we're going to write out the verse again. All right, we'll put it up on the screen again, Romans 8.32. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also with him graciously give us all things? And this is what I want you to do this week. I want you to take this card with you, put it in your car, on the kitchen counter, on the refrigerator, and every time you look at it, I want you to remember. I want you to think. With the things that are going on in your life, the things that you don't understand what God is doing, the things that you are grieving, I want you to look at that and remember what Paul was trying to say. First, he's saying, think with me, think with me. See the logic of it all. And then he's saying, don't forget that God has promised that with one goal in mind to make you into what he intended you to be, he will do it. And remember the pattern. All right? Would you pray with me? Father in heaven, I come to you and I uh, come with people and you know all of us, including me. We live in the midst of Friday and Saturday and it's so easy to be caught there. But I long for that day. And uh, if, I, if I really believe this verse, then I can take anything that you are uh, putting into my life and realize that you can use that to deconstruct what needs to be deconstructed, that you can reconstruct what needs to be reconstructed so that you can make me into what you want me to be. I pray for every person here, particularly the people that are hurting. I pray that you will remind them of this truth every day this week until it becomes something that actually changes the way they experience life and they experience you. That we will be convinced of your love for us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.